praise the Lord. As we were singing that song, I had a word come into my mind, and I believe it's from the Lord. It doesn't matter how far you run. It doesn't matter how deep you go in sin. You will never outrun the Lord. He will be with you every step of the way. That's it. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how hard you try to get away from him. He is known as the hound of heaven, and he will never give up on you. You're wasting your time. Wasting your time. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful to be here again and to see all those familiar and friendly faces, all of my friends for many years, Sister Adriana. We come from way back, way back, 1989, I think, I came here. My husband and I came here to attend Bible school, and we were here for four and a half years. And it was a wonderful time. I love Perth. It's a beautiful, clean state. It's brilliant colors, magnificent fauna and flora. It's absolutely beautiful. New South Wales is mostly gray skies, but, you know, you've got to stay where the Lord puts you, you know. Anyway, um, I haven't long, maybe three weeks, come back from a month in the UK, and um, the Lord gave me a vision when I was a new Christian that uh, this was coming, and 35 years later, it actually happened. So my daughters all put together and sent me over to the UK with my youngest daughter. And we were there for a month, and we went from the bottom of England near the channel right up to the very top in the Shetlands. And there was nothing I don't think that we didn't see. But I was only hungry for my brethren. I couldn't wait to get back to Australia and go to my church, be with the body again. And the one thing that made an impression on me was we attended, we went to every great cathedral we could find. And the stained glass windows, the soaring ceilings, the magnificent buildings, absolutely beautiful, but dead inside. And when I came back to Australia and went to my little church and walked in, the place was filled with the presence of God. Praise God. This morning, I'm going to bring you something soft, something sweet. The name of the sermon this morning, the title I gave it is Just a Little Taste of Honey. I'll give you something different tonight. So for this morning, we're going to take as our text, the first book of Samuel. It's quite a lengthy reading. I'm sorry, but I need it. And it's chapter 14. Verses 23 to 27. I know you're all familiar with it, but we should never become bored in reading the Word of God. There's always something new in it. If you could say amen when you have your scripture, didn't hear much there. Okay. And it came to pass while Saul talked unto the priest that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves. And they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomforter. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, 
Even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Bethaven. But the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food, and all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand, and he dipped it in an honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you, how mine eyes have been enlightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. This morning, I hope to show you that God's grace provides spiritual refreshing between battles and that we shouldn't become discouraged by partial victories, but we should anticipate total victory. We read there in Samuel 14.23, So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over to Bethaven. God had done a mighty work for them, but he wanted to prepare them to take them up to the next level. And that's where you and I are today. That's where the church is today. God wants to take us up to the next level. I thank God that he took me up to a number of levels. When I first came to the Lord, I was not timid, but I certainly didn't have a lot of boldness in the Lord. But through my experiences and my trials, I'm not the same as what I used to be. Not perfect, but certainly I've grown, had more experiences, and I am not down here now, I'm more up here. This is where the Lord wants to take you. God has done some pretty amazing things for us, but he has ordained that we go higher. However, first, we have to get ready to go. We have to be prepared. And you're only going to be ready when you've first taken the time to appreciate what he's already done, what has already gone before you, and when you've refreshed yourself for the battle to come. If there's anyone sitting here this morning that thinks you've already been in all the battles and got your victories, well, you're sadly mistaken. I'm a lot older than you, and I can tell you from experience, as you get older, the battles get hotter. In the text, God had given his people a little, a little victory, but he was promising them a bigger victory. The last thing they needed was to be discouraged over the incomplete. You see, the devil tries to frustrate God's people over two situations, their failure 
and the unfinished, or what you haven't done yet, what hasn't been done. You can give yourself indigestion over worrying about what's still to be done. Ask my sister Sarah. You can become undone over worrying about the undone. But that's not God's way. God says, oh, why not give a party over what we've already done? Why not give a party over the progress that we've already made? Why don't you get excited over the few things that I've done for you? Isn't that right? Anticipate victory. Don't be frustrated. It hasn't happened yet. In Numbers 21, chapter 10 and 16, we're told, And from thence they went to Beer. That is, the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses. Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Now, watch this. Up till this point, the water was just a promise. To the Israelites, it was still an incomplete process. It was unfinished. But in verse 17, we read, Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. And they sang to the desert. They anticipated the process. They anticipated the water. They didn't have it yet. They only had the promise. But they broke into song, full of joy, for what God was going to do. They had been in many wars since they left Egypt. All the people who were round about were afraid of them, and they were not liked. But they still anticipated victory because they knew their God. You know, I think we are too image conscious. We're very image conscious in the world. We're too worried about what people are thinking about us. What would you think now if you saw a bunch of people standing in the middle of the desert singing for water to spring up? You'd think they were pretty stupid, wouldn't you? But that was what they did. And you'd look pretty stupid, wouldn't you? If you were doing the same thing. If you were singing for God to bring his promises and fulfill his promises to you. But you know, that's what they did. And they got their water. Because God had promised it. God wants to take us to a new level. Where we are not concerned about looking good. We are only concerned with making Jesus look good. And you can do that by allowing him to not make you look stupid, but by allowing you to have faith enough in him to do what he asks you to do to fulfill the promise. You know, in my past experiences, I, I may have shared this one with you, I don't know, but my husband and I, when we were attending church here, we went to, um, we were going to church on the Wednesday night, and there was a terrible storm. You know what the storms are like here in WA. And he said, well, take your car because my car hasn't got any petrol. Well, of course, his car never had any petrol. That was why he used mine. But I said, oh, okay. But I had a Mazda 323 panel van and it only had two doors, very long front doors. So we went to church and when we came uh, home, we got out the car and he said, oh, I've locked the keys in the car. And I said, well, it's going to be very hard to get into that car, you know, because you can't get the knob was recessed. 
And I said, maybe you left the window open. And he said, don't be silly. I haven't left any windows open. I locked all the house up. So he, he went around the back to have a look and see if there was some way of getting in. And I said, Lord, nothing is impossible with you. Nothing. I would ask you to use an angel to open that door for me. And I heard a click. And I just pushed the big heavy glass door and it opened up. And I went in. And I closed the door and I locked it. And I went into my bedroom and I got changed. And I put all the lights on so he could see I was in there. And when he came around banging on the door, he said, open the door. And I opened the door and let him in. But he never ever asked me how I got the door open. You see, if we have faith in God, he can do anything, anything beyond your wildest imagination. And this is what he did with Israel. He gave them the instructions. They were to go into the desert. They were to sing. They were to be full of joy. And God was going to fulfill their promise. And he did. They got their water. In Joshua 6, 1 to 5, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thou shalt do this six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priest shall blow with the trumpets, and it will come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. But just before Israel took the city of Jericho, those people walked around that city looking pretty stupid. They walked around every day with no noise, except those screeching, ugly ramsons. Now, if that had been us, we would have had bugles, we would have had clarinets, or saxophones, or silver horns. I mean, if you and I are going to do something like this, well, they should be at least good horns, not dirty, old, rubbishy ram's horns. But God said, I want you to put the crude and the ugly at the front. Then after the ram's horns came the glory of God. You see, when we submit ourselves to the trials and those things that cause us pain and that may make us look foolish, if we can do this and accept it, then God's glory follows. You see, if you're willing to look bad, to bear the taunting and the ridicule, if you're willing to anticipate the process and to understand that God is wanting to do the incredible just to astonish you, God's glory will come right behind you. I could write a book about the embarrassing situations that I've been in since I first went onto the field. After my husband died and I was on the field, a woman alone and 52 years of age, White hair, even then, 
I found myself in many situations which were very, very embarrassing. But I trusted everything in me in the Lord. And believe me, his glory always followed. A person can get frustrated preaching empty chairs. Sometimes we look at empty chairs and we worry about who's not here. And we overlook the beautiful, faithful people who are here. You see, we seem to concentrate on the unfinished, the incomplete. But God is still doing a wonderful work. You may be driving a horrible old car, but it's better than a push bike. You may have a dirty old motorbike, but it's better than walking. You may not understand all the truth, but thank God you're not in false doctrine. You see, we're all moving on bit by bit. We are all going up to another level. God may have given you all the victory. He may have only given you some, but he's given you some, or you wouldn't be here this morning. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. But you've got to remember, vision is born in your mind. It's where your ideas and your dreams are birthed. Believe me, when I was Neri and Jaya, my contract had run out. I had to find something to persuade the Indonesian government that I had something that their people didn't have and nobody could teach them or they were not going to renew my contract. I couldn't get my visa. And I said to the Lord, what am I going to do? I didn't have any idea. The Lord said, think about what you like to do. What gives you pleasure? What gives you joy? I said, teaching, Lord. He said, then you teach. And my skills were in accounting and computing. So I thought, okay. I had heard that you can get $35,000 funding from the Australian ambassador who was in Jakarta. And I thought, I'll write to him. Ask him if I can get this $35,000 and I'll see if I can establish a, a computer school. And so I did. Three times I wrote to them. They never even answered me. Not nothing. So I thought, oh well, the Lord must want me to go back to Australia now that my contract's finished. Actually, I felt quite happy. I was going back to hot water, showers, mm, a proper bed, decent food. There was lots of reasons to be happy going back. But you see, the work was incomplete. wasn't finished. I said to the Lord, I can't, Lord. They won't give me the money, so I might as well go home now. And very shortly after I prayed that, there was a knock on my door, and it was a, an Australian girl from Sydney. She said, I hear, she said, that there was, I heard there was a white woman living here. She said, and I've been trekking up in the Balium Valley, she said, for six weeks. I wonder, could I spend a couple of nights with you just to speak English before I go back to Australia? And I said, sure, you're more than welcome. So she came, just with a backpack, that's all she had. And she said, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm a missionary, and um, I'm here to do a work for the Lord. And she said, uh, I said, but my contract's up now, and I can't get it renewed because... I can't get the funding from um, the Australian ambassador in uh, Jakarta. I've written to them three times and they haven't answered. Oh, she said, I work with EPA, that's the Environmental Protection Authority in Sydney. 
my father is the CEO, but I'm the fundraiser. She said, if you don't understand the language of raising funds, they won't even answer you. They won't acknowledge you. Would you like me to write the letter for you? And I said, oh, please, would you? So she did. And three weeks later, I had $35,000 in the bank. And another two-year contract. And we established the computer school, and the Dutch government sent a couple of people over to have a look at it. And they said, how much would you need to um, start up an English school? And I told them so many million rupiah. They put it into the bank, and I was there for another two years. You see what I mean? You see, God takes us to the extreme when we think there is no more we can do. And, but the job is not finished. It's incomplete. But he is going to do something, a miracle in your life which will show you his power. It demonstrates his power and your weakness, you see. But the idea has to be born here. The vision has to be here. God is looking for someone who's not going to limit him in his power. I only thought of the computer school, but then it went on to the English school. Then it went on to the Bible college. There is no limit. God is not limited. You limit him because you have no vision. God says, here's the way I play, folks. You magnify before I manifest. You praise prior to my performing. Six times in Genesis, God did something and then stopped and threw himself a party. On each day of creation, when he finished, he looked at what he'd done and he said, no, that's good. Six times he said, it is good. It wasn't until verse 31 he said, no, that's very good. He didn't wait until he'd worked six days before he was pleased with what he had done. He was pleased with each part of his work before it was finished. We have to be the same. We don't look at what hasn't been done in our lives we don't look at what we haven't achieved. We look at what he's already done and where we are now. We're not back where we were when we first came. We've come a long way. There's still a long way to go, but he's already done a lot. We say, this is good. I'm good. I'm happy with me. I am. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done so far. Now let's go back to our text. The Lord saved Israel, and God tried to get them ready for the next level. God had provided honey on the ground to refresh the Israelites before the next, the next battle. But Paul, who'd been sleeping under the tree, suddenly woke up um, with the order, nobody eats until I get my personal agenda taken care of. Well, of course, the Bible actually says, Nobody eat that I may be avenged on mine enemies. But that was really what he meant. It's a terrible thing to fall behind leadership that's out of tune with God, you know. The people of Israel came to this place in the wilderness and there was honey on the ground. They didn't have to climb a tree to get it. They didn't have to fight the bees for it. Grace put that honey on the ground. Grace put the honey at their feet. It was a gift from God, provided as refreshment 
for the people who had been in battle. He wanted them refreshed because they had a new battle to look forward to. Jonathan was refreshed and he received a fresh revelation, a new revelation for the next level. Just a little taste of honey and Jonathan was ready to tackle the next battle. You see, God never intends for us to go from battle to battle running on the same tank of petrol. Every now and then, we've got to be filled up. We need refreshing. We need good church service, good music, good preaching, so we can get refreshed. And that's why your pastor brings you visiting ministry. He wants to bring you a little refreshing. He wants to bring you a taste of honey. So what happened to the others? Those who didn't take of the honey... The Bible says that instead of partaking of the honey, they partook of the blood of animals, which God had forbidden them to eat. You see, if you don't satisfy your appetite with the honey that grace has given, you're going to satisfy it with the forbidden. Every person has a spiritual appetite, and God's grace fills that appetite. But if you don't let God fill it, You'll satisfy it with immoral and ungodly things. Take my word for it. You're going to be filled with something. If you don't allow God's grace to fill it, something else is going to fill it. A year ago, last August, one of the brothers in the church came to me and he said, um, Sister Belay, I've just captured a swarm of bees. He said, I was wondering, he said, if I could put a hive on your land, he said, um, until I can organize a, a, a hive for myself. He and his wife lived in a very small backyard, but I'm on an acre, so there was plenty of room. And I thought, hmm, don't know about having a hive of bees on my yard. But anyway, I said, yeah, well, okay. I said, but um, how soon do you think you'll be able to shift it? And he said, oh, it won't be long, Sister Black, won't be long. Mm, well, you know. That was like um, 18 months ago. However, however, I went on a training course on how to look after bees. And I've now got two hives. <laughs> and I love my hives of bees. <laughs> and I can work in the yard and they don't bother me. But the thing is, I had never ever tasted honey from a honeycomb straight from the hive. I mean, I don't like honey. I would never eat honey. But he came to have a look at and see how the bees were going, and he broke off a piece of the honeycomb inside the hive, and he gave it to me, and he said, taste this, this little bit. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, just put it in your mouth and suck it. So it looked like white plastic to me, but anyway, I took it, and I put it in my mouth, and I sucked it, and oh, bliss, bliss. It was like condensed milk. It was absolutely addictive. And I thought, oh, I really like this. It tastes like condensed milk. You see, honey is an energy food. It feeds us. And when we read in the Word of God about that honey being on the ground, I think that's like Jesus, sweet and addictive. So to make that honey, the bee leaves the hive and looks for nectar. He picks the nectar and the pollen, 
and he often has to fly six or seven miles to gather the nectar and the pollen, and then he takes it back to the hive. And when he gets there, he feeds it to the bees that are there. And if he's hungry or it's the winter, he eats some of it himself. The bee processes the nectar and the pollen into honey. But, you know, sometimes it feels like you're going through a lot of work and hardship, a lot of toil and trials. Like the Israelites, you're exhausted and you're ready to give in. But with the grace of God, you can process your trials and your testings. You can process what you've been through and it becomes honey. It's what makes you sweet. It's what makes you tasty. And you're ready for the next battle because you've been energized, you've been refreshed. All it takes is a little taste of honey, a refreshing for you to be ready for the next level. What did Jonathan say? 1 Samuel 14, 29b, mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. Jesus is that honey. Jesus is our refreshment. He is our rest. Can I have the musicians, please? He is the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is the living water. Your trials... Everything you've been through since you've come to the Lord is all designed to produce that sweetness in you. They're given to you by the Lord. He allows them. And as you accept them and pick them up and allow them to work in you and change you, that honey, that sweetness will be produced. The word tells us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you want a little taste of that honey this morning, you're more than welcome to come to the altar. Many times we are tired. I know. You get tired. You get dry. You get cold in your heart. You don't read the word. You're not close to God. Your relationship has cooled off. But God is here. Jesus is here to give you a refreshing Jesus knows. He's here this morning. He's brought the honey. It's here to refresh you. The altar is open for you. Don't waste your opportunity. Any opportunity the Lord gives you to be refreshed, take it. Because you don't know that there's not another battle around the corner. God bless you.